you in the service industry? Bartender, server, stripper, cook? Welcome home. Welcome home. This is In The Biz. We keep the world moving. And nobody knows us like us. Like us. This show is about sharing our experiences and teaching people about the ins and outs of the service industry, helping people navigate it to make some extra cash. Along the way, we'll interview the best in the biz. Welcome to In The Biz. Now, here's your host, Tani Mujiqua. Welcome to the In The Biz podcast. As always, we get to meet really cool people over here that are absolutely killing it in our industry. And ladies and gentlemen, today is no different. Now, today is really cool, ladies and gentlemen, because we actually have a CEO. Hold on. Let me um, bring her up real quick so she can act. This? So we actually have a live CEO in our building today. And she... (laughs) has not not just a regular CEO, she is a CEO of a spirits brand. How cool is that? Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, Adelaide. Adelaide, how are you doing today? I am marvelous. How are you, Jenny? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So for those of us, um, the few of us that don't know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself? I will gladly do that. So I am um, the CEO, as you mentioned, of a startup craft spirits brand called Kashasa Spirits. And I think that uh, your listeners are probably a little bit more savvy than your average average person, um, and they probably know what Kashasa is. But if if they don't, it's uh, the national spirit of Brazil. And so I am the the brand, the face, the heart and soul and salesperson and marketing and and HR and everything for uh, for my company. That is awesome. Well, I got to ask, how in the world do you even get into spirits? Like, how do you wake up one day and like, you know what? This sounds like a pretty cool idea. You know, it's so funny that you asked that because I, I don't ha- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because um, ask COVID. I think uh, before this, I was uh, an actuary and a product manager in tech in startups. And um, I have, I found Kashasa when I moved here to Miami in uh, 2020 as a result of the pandemic. Found Kashasa because it's kind of popular down here with the, the Central and South American influence. And um and then kind of wondered, how have I not heard about this spirit? It's massive in Brazil. It's massive globally. It's the third most popular spirit in the world. And I like to consider myself an educated drinker. Um, but but how is this how is this not more popular? And then what I started to do is, as any good kind of product marketing person does, they do some research. And I, I looked into the the other brands that were out there and their marketing and their positioning. And I said, Oh, I understand why it hasn't really taken off because most of the stuff that's out there is crap. No, have you? So, uh, <laughs> how long ago did you first like run into Kachasa? Because I'll be honest, I'm relatively new to it. I mean, I've had a kite yeah. or two, but um, that, how did you even? You know, I guess when was the first time you uh, you heard about Kachasa? A friend of mine brought a bottle over when we were kind of still in that weird lockdown era uh, in 2020. So about two years ago, I discovered it. He brought over a bottle of um, 51 Kachasa, which is about as cheap a, a Kachasa as you can find. 
Um, it is essentially gasoline in a bottle, which, you know, for for those of us who who want that kind of experience, it was it was a it was a great intro point. Um, and uh, it's kind of a classic cachaça. It's very popular down here with the Brazilians. Um, but I was like, it was just an eye opening experience. I've never heard of it before. He obviously made a lot of caprinas that night. And um, yeah, <laughs> and we had a great time. And, um, and I was curious to learn more got into it and uh, identified as any CEO will probably tell you, we're always kind of on the lookout for market opportunities and good ideas. And this really resonated with me as a good idea. And um, I had I had in the past like batted around the idea of starting a couple of software companies and things like that. But this was the first one that really went from one step to the other very organically and, and with a lot of excitement. And and now here we are, it's on the shelf, it's available. It's It's kind of crazy. That is incredible though. How does one even, I mean, what is the first step you even take when you decide, you know what, I'm going to start my own brand? Like, how, I don't even know, like, trying to put myself in your head, like, what were you thinking? Like, what's the first step from there? Well, yeah, that was really what kind of enticed me to this because I don't come, I was never, I've never been a bartender. I've never been a server, despite all of my attempts in my early teens and twenties to like get a job as a, as a server in college. Nobody wanted me. I don't know why. Um, so maybe I just didn't have the face for it, but, um, it, it really was one of those, when you, when you identify a business opportunity, my brain immediately goes to what's the end goal. The end goal is bottle on a shelf and then just process because I come from the operations and like in very tech world, you start to think backwards. You go, okay, bottle on a shelf. I need liquid. I need bottles. I need branding and marketing and I need a supply chain and I need all this stuff. And, and you just kind of like work your way back. This also, I think, comes from being a, a math kid. Uh, I was a, I was a math kid in, in high school, and um, and what they teach you when you learn, and this is kind of why people don't get into math. What math teaches you is how to decompose a problem into its essential parts, uh, and and so when when you're doing. I'm going to bore you guys when I do, when you do like theorems and proofs and, and things like that, you really have to decompose it down to its essential parts. And that's exactly what I did with the business. So you learn about the three tier system in, in the U S you, and then also the exciting part for me was learning how you do business, how bartenders do business, how the service industry works, how, you know, how liquor flows and, and how you create a brand and make it, make it, something people love and, and want to enjoy. What were some of the uh, most interesting things you learned throughout the process? Like you said, as far as like the way, um, I guess, bartenders operate or just in general, like how the liquor moves. Like what are some of the interesting things that you found in that process? Oh, I think one of the, the baffling things for me is that none of it's uniform. So when you go out from, from one bar to another, you have to really carefully segment your account. So if you're going into a, a really craft spirits driven place or a more commercially driven place, some place that's more towny, like kind of dive bar, or if it's a, if it's a college bar slinging well, you know, well vodka sodas, you really have to know and understand and most importantly, empathize with what that person behind the bar is trying to do, who they're selling to. And 
the one thing that I've found is that no two places are the same and it's really building a partnership one location at a time. Absolutely. So, and that's been really exciting for me because I love to get to talk to people. It's something I didn't get to do in my last career. Uh, spreadsheets don't really have, you know, a lot to say. Um, <laughs> I think you can tell I'm like a chatty person. I like to, I like to connect and talk to people and I really, I really like to, to that part of, of my new job and, and what I get to do. Oh man, that's exciting. Now, as far as like your target, like, um, market, what would you say is like the market that you have the most appeal for that you've seen so far? Um, craft spirits and well, yeah, Latin focused menus really do well and, and are easy for me, but purposefully, and maybe I'm setting myself up for a little bit of a, a challenge on this one. I'm trying to stay away from Brazilian restaurants and bars specifically because the, the cachaça is already circulating in that market. They already know what it is. They know what they like. Um, and Brazilians tend to be very brand loyal. They know they know which brands that they like. And so coming in as somebody who is, full disclosure, not Brazilian, trying to sell a Brazilian product to Brazilian people, um, it, it's, it's a little bit... Um, it's, it's something I've just steered clear of because I want to expose cachaça to people who are not Brazilian, who might be a little bit annoyed or kind of burnt out on celebrity tequila. Yeah. You know, so, and I, I, you can only have so many skinny, spicy margaritas before you're going, Ugh, like, can I try something new? Can I try something exciting? And then you say, here, try a Caprina, try a passion fruit Caprina or, or, um, a Cosmo made with cachaça or believe it or not, an espresso martini made with cachaça. Mojitos made with. Because I only think like Caprina is like the only drink you can make with cachaça. Like what other cocktails can you make? You said you can make, uh, was an espresso martini you could do? I will, I will hand to God tell you that one of my friends, I gave her a bottle. She has gone through it in about a month, um, making only espresso martinis. And she is like the girl that when she goes out, espresso martinis are her thing. She loves an espresso martini. Martini. She's a connoisseur. And so her new drink is espresso martinis made with cachaça. But you're absolutely right that in the past, you kind of haven't really thought about putting cachaça in an, in another cocktail other than the Caprina because a lot of the cachaças out there are they're they're authentic cachaças but when they are imported into the US the brand owners kind of think well how can i make this really unique spirit marketable to the U US consumer and the default that they fall to is add sugar so like like um Champagne, cachaça has a lot of legal definitions and requirements based in Brazil, one of which is it can have up to six grams of sugar per liter. And and I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, if you go pick up the bottle of LeBlanc that I'm sure is on your back bar right now and and take a little sip of it or smell it, you're really going to get a heavy sweetness and almost um almost that kind of coating in your mouth of of its very very sweet heavy spirit which makes it really hard to blend into other cocktails and that was something i specifically set out to do when we created my brand was to create a cachaça that was blendable that was drier that was a little bit more um a little bit more friendly to to what your average american spirits drinker might want to drink absolutely 
Now with that, you said there were some requirements for cachaça. Like I know with different liquors and I have no, so you said that it has to have six grams of sugar? It can legally have up to six grams of sugar. So we don't put any sugar in our cachaça and uh, some of the brands out there do do add sweetness to it for for their for their blend. And does it have um, to be other, in Brazil to be considered cachaça or are there any limitations? Yes. Um, regions? Yes. So like champagne can only come from Champagne, France, cachaça can only come from Brazil. It is distilled from fresh pressed sugarcane juice rather than unlike rum, which is actually um, made from a byproduct of sugarcane production, which is when after they've produ produced the sugar, they've got molasses left over. And then that's what they use to make what you think of as rum. Um, but, but, and so that's what makes sugarcane. And then for rum, they're using the byproducts of extracting the sugar. Am I saying it right? Yeah. So if you think about sugarcane production and how we get from the stock in the field to the, the, the white, the white granules that you put in your coffee, there's uh, you, you, you um, cut it down, you compress the juice, and then you process that juice and that sugar into, into those granules, dehydrate it and everything. So there's a, 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 uh, an industrial process that they do to that, to get to that point. One of those byproducts is molasses, which anybody who's made ginger snap cookies is probably familiar with. Um, it, yeah. And then, so rum, takes that molasses, which is the byproduct, and makes uh, and makes their rum. We go even one step further up the food chain, closer to the the ground, and just take that fresh pressed sugarcane juice, add yeast. It's a beautiful, clean, just light, grassy, floral spirit, almost like tequila is. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Now, as far as your brand, is it one we can find in stores, bars? Uh, do you have any particular locations that you're at right now and where you're looking to expand to in the future? Yeah, so we've only been out in the market. You're talking to me at like, we're, we're only like less than a month in. Um, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, have uh, can appreciate, supply chain has been uh, nothing but a headache in the last year. And so the process of getting it into the States was really challenging. It took six months. Shipping containers are in short supply, expensive, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're about nine months behind where we had wanted to be. But in the last two weeks, we're out in the market. We are available at uh, a bunch of total wines here in South Florida. Hi. And yes, and we're also uh, available at a few of the local bars. We're um, available at Pinch, which is in Nemo in in uh, Miami, as well as Chica and a few others. Uh, and then our online store is actually opening up in the next week. So you'll be able to go right on our website awesome. and order a bottle. Absolutely. Yes. And we're definitely going to have a link showing probably at this moment. It's probably somewhere around the screen for everyone while I'm watching. I definitely want to click on that. <laughs> and I forgot to ask you, uh, during the pandemic, you did say there was like supply issues. How did you go about even finding a supplier during that time period? Did you find that difficult at all? Well, this is kind of the, the theme that's run through my entire experience as a CEO up until this point. It's kind of got jumping in out of my depth and figuring it out. Um, so never having negotiated international commerce, how do you go find a supplier? I can't go to Brazil. It's COVID. Um, 
I, how do I find somebody? And um, as learning about getting into the, the liquor industry, the wine and spirits industry, I found a book uh, called Getting U.S. Market Ready, which for anybody who's interested in creating their own brand, launching their own brand, understanding how the U.S. three-tier system works, it's a really valuable read. So I was having trouble. I wasn't having a good feeling about one of the suppliers I was trying to source samples from. And so I reached out to the author on LinkedIn. Uh, why? Because why not? Um, and I said, I have this very specific question about importing samples that you don't address in your book. And he was really nice. He jumped on a call with me. He spent an hour with me. And it just so happened that he out of the blue. And this is the value of networking, folks. Um, he just happened to know the founder of LeBlanc. And LeBlanc is the, probably the most well-known cachaça that's out there. They sold to Bacardi a number of years ago, so they're now a Bacardi brand. This guy doesn't own it anymore. But he put me in touch with him and said he probably he knows a, a good up-and-coming supplier that could work with you. And I reached out to him. I said, I'm looking to establish a long-term partnership with a with a reputable supplier in Brazil that, that is willing to, um, to offer mutual support. And... Uh, it turned out actually that his 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 cachaça was head and shoulders above anything else I had ever ever tasted, and uh, the rest is history. He's actually coming to Miami in June, so we'll get to meet in person for the first time. I'm really excited about that. Uh, awesome! Hey, it goes to show, and everyone listening, you know, why not? Uh, just take a shot in the dark to even send that message. I don't even think I would do it. I'd be like, oh, there's no way he's going to respond to me. But the fact that you did it though and got a response and built a relationship—that's pretty awesome. All right, yeah. I have two more questions for you. First one, I want you to pitch me on why I should have cachaca instead of the regular stuff I drink on a daily basis. Why you should carry my brand of cachaca. So I bet the one thing I hear a lot is, oh, I don't sell that many Cabrinhas. And I will say that is 100% true because what, you, what happens right now is somebody comes in Let's just assume they're not Brazilian. They look at the menu. They say, sure, I'll try the Caprina. And it's made with Leblon, for example. They drink it. They go, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know. But then their second drink, they kind of go, uh, you know what? I'll have a mojito. It's it's overly sweet. It's, it's a little too out there for a lot of U.S. spirits drinkers. And they don't want to come back for a second Caprina. So my cachaca, and I will absolutely show you the data to prove this, guarantees you they order the second Caprina. Everybody who tries my cachaca says, oh, I've had Caprinas before, but this is like, this is unbelievable. The other reason is you don't put Leblanc into other cocktails right now, again, because it's too sweet. It's not mixable. And our brand of cachaca goes into everything from Cosmos, to espresso martinis, to mojitos, throw it into a margarita, you will absolutely move more of it. And that's why I think you should stock cachaca. That is awesome. I've never thought about cachaca that way as far as like its uniformity, like to be able to use it in those different ways. So I'm definitely going to sign yes. up for at least one or two bottles. <laughs> All right. Before I appreciate I that. that. Right. <laughs> Uh, before I ask the last question here, I just want to give you an opportunity to say whatever you'd like to the audience listening out there. 
Oh, um, I appreciate all of the hard work you guys are doing. I think that the um, the last two years have been really challenging for this industry. It's great to see its resurgence. It's exciting to see people coming back and to, to feel the energy in the industry. Um, I think that... Uh, Tequila had its moment in the last two years, but uh, the future is cachaça. The the excitement and the energy around the Caprina is really going to what, be what's carrying us into the summer. So make the summer of 2022 the summer of the Caprina. I like it. I like it. All right. Final question for you. What word of wisdom would you give to that little kid out there that's thinking, you know what? I really want to start my own liquor brand. What advice would you give them to take with them as they go on that journey? Oh, be 21. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> be 21. Um, but really, it's refining your story. So starting with a really good story and a reason for being is the most important part of a brand. And one nugget of wisdom I took away from that, that, that book that I read um, was uh, good liquid, the, a good product is necessary, but not sufficient for success. And so you need to have that good brand story, that point of differentiation that will make you successful. So spend the extra time on really looking into your brand and understanding its ethos and understanding what makes it authentic. And, um, and from there, everything else will fit into place. Make sure you have a good product, but really put all a lot of extra effort into, into that story. Oh, Adelaide, I have taken so many notes. If you see us with the look oh. in the near future, <laughs> just saying, this conversation definitely helped. Adelaide, it was a pleasure having you on the show. We definitely look forward to possibly having you in the future as well. Thank you. This has been a blast. Oh, pleasure was all ours. Until next time. <laughs>